0: Yates on Sunday.
1: Brought to you by SSE Airtricity Business
2: Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy, at work for you. We're joined by our panel to discuss some of the stories in this morning's newspapers and a lot more. It's a pleasure to welcome, on the far side of the room, the former Minister for Finance, Justice, Agriculture, and of course former FG leader, also of course Director General of the Institute of International and European Affairs and former Chairman of IBRC, Alan Dukes, you're most welcome. I'm oh disgusted to hear you're still smoking.
3: Well, don't let it
2: bother you. it's not bothering you on the other side of the table we have the boy from Brooklyn former Irish senator and now a consultant oncologist one of the top ones in the world at Vincent's Hospital Professor John Crown will you have a word with Alan about smoking no problem whatsoever Alan I'd be delighted to give you the free counselling Alongside him is a businesswoman, former Dragon broadcaster and former member of the National Paediatric Hospital Development Board and of course current chairwoman of Harmonia, Ireland's largest magazine uh, company. And Nora Casey and I have something in common. We both had the good sense to stop getting up in the middle of the night for News Talk Breakfast. How are you, Nora? I'm
4: great. We both look very good on it, I have to say. Are well, you
2: looking better than me, I might add? Don't cut
4: faces for radio. Indeed.
2: <laughs> so let's get straight down to action. The big um, Big news is um, um, the the, the, the different stories on the front pages of the papers. Uh, The Mail on Sunday goes with disgusting. Furious attack on Mary Lou Macdonald as she tweets pictures of constituency rival with ex Sinn Féin councillor guilty of waterboarding. This is the uh, conviction during the week of Jonathan Dowdall and the former associations with uh, the Sinn Fein Dublin Central TD. The Sunday Business Post uh, has what it calls an exclusive: the plan to save mortgage holders from vulture funds. This is a kind of uh, friendly vulture fund. AIB poised to strike deal to sell thousands of distressed mortgage. Um, I think David Hall is involved. That should be interesting. Uh, they also have a story on the front page. Kieran Mulvey, State could keep ownership of maternity hospital. I think that's a reference to a lease agreement. They also have uh, a r- latest Red Sea poll showing Fianna Fall up Market to being the largest party at 28%. Fianna Fáil stuck on 24%. And various stuff about Simon and Leo. The Sunday Times has an interesting lead and there's acres of coverage on the 100-day salute from the Chief uh, Donald Trump. Trump, RT journalist links Callahan to McCabe's uh, smear. This is a story in relation to uh, Philip Boucher Hayes. Uh, has made a statement to the Charlton Tribunal alleging the former Garda Commissioner made disparaging remarks to him about McCabe and implicating uh, David Taylor. Interesting stuff there. Philip Boucher, he's a person of integrity in my view. Uh, the Sunday Independent has another poll. It's a kind of, what's the state of the nation poll rather than a political one. Nations mood at 28 year high. This is Kantar Millward brown saying that uh, anger recedes 7 upbeat of life in Ireland. Well, let's get straight down to the um, story that emerged over the weekend, which of course the EU summit, um, which agreed uh, the previous draft guidelines on the EU 27's response to the triggering of Article 50 vis-à-vis Brexit. Let's hear from Enda Kenny, speaking in Brussels
0: yesterday. Well, the meeting of the 27 members of the European Council has just concluded. And I'm very happy to report that the guidelines for negotiation were adopted unanimously. These guidelines include the priorities that we have set out for Ireland for quite some time. Our citizens our economy, the common travel area, the border, relations with the United Kingdom and our place in Europe. In addition, however, I'm also very happy that the minutes of the meeting will record a very clear statement about the potential of the Good Friday Agreement to achieve a united Ireland at some time in the future by consent, if people so wish. It also means that the European Council has given unanimous support that that if such an eventuality takes place, that the entire island of Ireland would be recognised as being a member of the European Union. And I have to say I'm very pleased about that.
2: Yeah, this has been signalled in some of the uh, papers the Mail on Sunday as a Kenny victory that his uh, text has been inserted. Alan Jukes, what's your take is on this? Because it seems to me that if you speak to business people and so on, they talk about North-South issues, they're concerned about tariffs, trade and that kind of thing what might happen to the border in 20 or 30 years is a little less important than what might happen in two years. Is this a big victory, or is it something that surely no member state would oppose? If well,
3: I, I think it's probably significant, um, but for a different reason. Um, I think it's an answer to this what I regard as a very misguided attempt by Sinn Féin uh, to up the ante by, by proposing that there be in some way a special status for Northern Ireland, given the uh, the references in the Good Friday Agreement to the constitutional position of Northern Ireland, I think Sinn Féin have set off on a completely wrong road the references in the Belfast Agreement to the constitutional position of Northern Ireland relate to its constitutional position as a part of the UK not as part of the EU uh, so I, I think that this is a way of getting that particular bit off the table because I think it would hugely complicate the negotiation if an attempt were to be made in that direction. Of course, the fact that that's there and the fact that there is specific recognition for the particular problems of Ireland are two separate things. And I think that the second one is much more important in the kind of context that you're talking about. The immediate concerns of business people as to what kind of border we're going to have immediately after Brexit rather than what's going to happen 20 or 30 years down the road. All of the issues that have to do with whether it's going to be a hard or a soft border remain to be dealt with. I think the the atmosphere is one that is going to be uh, a fairly hard-headed negotiation. Um, Juncker has said that the British have not really understood the real complexity of what they're getting into, but I think Tusk has made it very, very clear that nobody wants to have uh, a hard Brexit just for the sake of giving the, the Brits a kick up the transom. I think everybody realises that... Brexit is a, a negative-sum game for everybody. The harder it is, the worse it's going to be for everybody, the 27 and the UK. Our interest is in getting the softest possible Brexit, and I think that's the way uh, our, our administration and political system are playing this at the moment. Um, how it works out is very difficult to say. Uh, I heard one comment for Juncker, I think, Um, made the point that even the issue of the status of EU and UK citizens in their respective administrations after Brexit is actually a series of 25 different issues that have to be worked out. So there is some very hard pounding to come but I think uh, our objective as an Irish, you know, interest in this, is the same as the objective of the other 26 Remainers, which is that we need the softest possible Brexit without giving um, the UK all of the benefits of being in the club when they're actually going to be outside it.
2: Nora Casey, um, to my simple mind, the big issue is... We have had a common travel area with Britain since 1923. And if I was to pick one thing I'd like to hold on to post-Brexit, it would be that. It wouldn't be some aspirational thing, which I think is a slam dunk in relation to Northern Ireland. What do you think of this agreement to put Ireland at the top of the agenda in the context of a united Ireland?
4: Well, there's no surprise that Ireland is the top of the agenda because it's more catastrophic. It has huge implications for us. When they talk about the Good Friday Agreement, I took over the Irish Post in London in the, uh, just in the aftermath of the Good Friday Agreement. And we talked all the time about North, South, of course, but also East, West. We're two countries that are bound by a shared history. That's the best way of putting it. We have a shared history. As a young person, at 17 years of age, I went over to Britain and trained as a nurse, then trained as a journalist in London, spent more years of my life, actually, in our nearest neighbour than I did here in Ireland. For me, Brexit is happening already. So I know Bourbea, you know, said that the currency exchange rate already was 560 million i think they lost in the last year the farmers are talking about the price of cattle advertising has been frozen for me for nearly a year so in my magazine industry we're down about 30% so all of the big players in london unfortunately for us were often seen as a domestic not not foreign or global spend but domestic spend given the british isles they're all f- all our advertising spend is frozen because the decisions aren't going to be made in london so we're in this inertia period where i frankly don't think the government has woken up to the fact that this is enormous for us. We can't have the Taoiseach and a handful of civil servants dealing with this matter. I think somebody told me recently that the British Embassy in Washington had more diplomats than we had the world over. So that's the size of what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a near neighbour that's 10 times bigger than us, that has a massive infrastructure. We need a Brexit minister. And we need a panel of business leaders and others that are going to talk frankly, and openly about how we actually deal with this because this uncertainty and us talking like this even means that we're... Impact is impacting us right now. Brexit is impacting on us right now because of that uncertainty. In terms of confidence. Everything. In itself. Yeah. Yeah, The the, the longer the inertia... But of course you can't be in
2: denial about it either.
4: No, you can't. but, But we do need to have... People sitting around the table that have the competence to understand. Like my father, we we used to go to Leitrim where my mother was. He would wait until the car was nearly empty to fill the petrol up in Northern Ireland. And I was reading that actually Northern Ireland trade is huge in the retail sector. Like I rely enormously on the fashion industry. So in the run up to Christmas, me along with everybody else sat in my armchair, didn't have to move a muscle to get much cheaper prices in the UK. So Parcel Motel, which those of men here won't understand, but for women, delivers goodies in here from the UK, 80% up year on year in trade into Ireland. So it's impacting almost every factor of our lives already, right now, and we need to be sitting around the table right now and discussing it. John
2: Crown, you've lived a cosmopolitan life. Uh, two questions. What's your take on Brexit? Do you, do, you, do you think it will happen? And is there any impact in the rarefied clinicians' world uh, on Brexit? It's very hard
1: to see a scenario where it will not happen. It would be different if there was a different kind of Labour Party in the UK with some kind of charismatic centrist leader who had taken a clearly anti-Brexit position and who had tried to get some kind of a ne- major national crusade going that this was a once-off referendum, people were misled. Now that you know more about it, that's just not going to happen because the chaos in the Labour Party is probably going to outlast the Brexit negotiations. It's hard to see. The and match- May is
2: likely to win a stronger exactly,
1: mandate. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think she's going to be there through all the all of these negotiations. So it's. And I don't believe anyone in the Tory Party is actually going to say, "Hands up, we were wrong. Let's have another referendum." Now that we see that the devil that is in the detail, we've made a terrible error. I just do not see that happening. So it's a question, really, of damage limitation and damage control at this stage. And as as has been said, it, it is less it is less than a zero sum game. It's a, it's a negative sum game for for all concerned. Um, The one thing I worry about is we talk about we had the common travel area before the EU, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We just can't go back to the way we were because the difference when we had the common travel area and our ambiguous relationship that, you know, Nora has so eloquently pointed out between ourselves and the UK, with whom we share more than a common history, we're big overlap in what we are. A common culture. Exactly. Um, The reality is that when we had that common travel area, neither party was part of a large multinational uh, collective, which we will be and Britain will not be. So, it's not a question as simply of us just going back and saying we want the common travel area the way it was before 1971 or whatever. Thank you very 1923. much. 1923? No, well, no, the way it was before we all would oh, oh, joined the EU. Oh, sorry, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm very young. Alan remembers it better than <laughs> me. My, my mother told me about it when we joined the EU. But um, the the reality is that we, we don't have that flexibility of negotiating position. Now, on the specifics of, there is an absolutely huge interaction between the UK and Ireland and medicine and healthcare and nursing and all of those things. I mean, I, I think I'm, I, I may be slightly inaccurate in this, but it's it's correct, I believe, in the essence that approximately one half of every medical school graduating class in Ireland through their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s ended up working in the UK. Mm. Uh, and, and the biggest demographic was GP in the United Kingdom. So the UK has needed our doctors to be GPs we've needed them as an outlet for our rather strange career structure in, in medicine in this country and as well as that a very big chunk of our doctors our senior hospital specialists in this country have trained in the U, in the in the UK and in addition of course it's Nora just told us so my two of my own aunts so many Irish you know women and increasingly men have trained as nurses in the UK and have gone to work as nurses in the UK so there, there's a whole lot of you know mutual gain in trying to keep those arrangements up and running. Now they existed before the EU. I guess during the EU they became easier, but in the kind of fraught atmosphere of Brexit negotiations, it's hard to
2: imagine them getting anything other
1: than a little harder. And I hope they can be protected. Yeah, but I think this is
3: this. So is
2: sir, a I, I'm, I wanted to ask yeah, you sorry. specifically the Irish plan going forward. Now we've seen the set European position and the team is appointed. My view and feel free to Mm. whack me over the head is we should go to London and on the issue of nitty-gritty and on the issue of many of these areas, we should try and do a bilateral deal because I fear, even with the best will and the word, we're not in that room with Tusk and Yonker and so on. How far do you think we could push that in terms of saying, well actually, with the 500 kilometres of the land border, we've worked out this kind of working arrangement with Britain. Do you think that's possible? Yeah,
3: I, mean, I, I think this point you you make in the <laughs> usual kind of throwaway fashion, not being in the room with Tusk and Yonker, is, is actually rubbish. Okay, um, This is a, a, a negotiating strategy that will be built on a common basis by 27 member states. Um coming back, and I'm coming crabwise at your okay. question, coming back to some of the things John mentioned there, in, in the medical area and in lots of other areas, the European Community and now the European Union has actually done a huge amount of work in bringing more and more commonality into recognition of degrees, qualifications and standards. And, and I would think that no matter how difficult these negotiations are, and they will be politically very difficult, there will be a disposition on all sides to keep as much of the benefits of that kind of common understanding and estimation that has been brought about. So I, I don't see no, us but going I'm back to that. Join the real back world. Back You're let me a Europhile. The fact there's a rest lot of
2: people who want Let's to be, stick it to Britain, give them a bloody to, nose, yeah, and okay. make sure no one else leaves Alcatraz, yeah. and we are going to be the collateral damage.
3: That kind of come back to what I was saying. Um, in, in terms of the, 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 the way the negotiations are going to work out, I think one of the sticky issues is going to be to decide at what point in the divorce negotiation sufficient progress has been made to begin to talk about what the relationship between the EU and the UK will be post-Brexit, which is a really crunch issue for us. I think we will have to push Uh, the idea that, you know, at a certain point enough progress has been made to start talking sensibly about what happens after Brexit uh, and not just about the bill for Britain leaving. I think formally the position is there should be no bilateral negotiations, but I think anybody with half a grain of common sense will agree that there are umpteen opportunities for informal, back-channel discussions on both sides. Um, Ireland-UK, 27-UK, Ireland 27 UK to to prepare the ground for a sensible economic arrangement afterwards. I wrote about all this just after the, 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 the referendum in the UK and I said What I would imagine a sensible Whitehall Mandarin would be proposing to Theresa May is to say, let's have a Brexit, and if you really have a bit of chutzpah, you'll propose to the EU a total free trade agreement after that. Now, I've been encouraged in recent weeks to hear that there are back-channel discussions going on between a small core of UK civil servants. I disagree with Nora about some of this business of how we're preparing, but discussions going on, back-channels between... British civil servants and WTO people uh, in Geneva to sort out what the contours of a free trade Mm -hmm. agreement would be what the possibilities are and the word that's emerging from that is that while if there's no agreement, theoretically, the UK would fall off a cliff in terms of trade and we'd be straight into WTO agreements. WTO are saying you could have a special arrangement as long as it didn't last forever. Now, and they say uh, a reasonable period would be somewhere between three and ten years. Now, I think that would give us the breathing okay. space to work out the okay, kind of channel. transition arrangement.
2: I, 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 that's not a million miles away from what I'm saying. I'm saying issues like the election electricity connector, Mm -hmm. our common gas regime the complexity of fishing waters and so on. Do, do you not think we should be up... He's saying a back channel? I'm saying a front door a channel front, to I number totally 10 you, to I mean. say we. this is what we
4: need to survive. I, with the greatest respect, I don't think that it's always within the gift of politicians or civil servants to understand the complexity of the supply chain between us and Britain and between us and Northern Ireland. So when you, you look at businesses, you may see it packaged and produced here or there. So it's not as simple as saying, is it our exports? Is it our ability to attract multinationals? It's much more complex like that. And and my point is Brexit is happening to us now. It's not happening to us at some vague point. Before we've got rules, bureaucracy, tariffs, before we settle the issue of how they treat EU citizens, before we've discussed what Mm. penalty uh, amounts they're going to have to pay in order to leave the EU. Before all of that, this is impacting on what we're doing. the
3: answer to that, Nora, is... The answer, I'll tell you just one thing. The answer is not to to sit in closed
4: rooms and have conversations about global issues when actually it's impacted on us here on the ground.
2: We're talking to Alan Jukes, Nora Casey and John Crown. Lots of medical business and political experts Experience in the room. And very interestingly, yesterday in the Irish Daily Mail, John Crown took about six pages talking (laughs) about the National Maternity Hospital. Uh, You have Owen Harris wondering is it more about uh, money than ethics? But lots of people weighing in are you for Rona or for Peter Boylan? And I think it's fair to say the general tenor of it is that the state should try and change the deal. There's also an intervention from Kieran Mulvey saying he can see a workable solution which we'll come to. Well let, let me go back to yesterday's papers uh, when I got the Irish Daily Mail there was a rather youthful looking uh, John Crown. I say it was taken about 1943 the photograph. A photo of John Crown my concerns over church, o- uh, church owning National Maternity Hospital and inside is a column. It is fascinating to get your view because as we know uh, when we talk about Vincent's Hospital you've worked there uh, for many years and would know the culture know the modus operandi and whether religious sisters do interfere or not. My first question to you is what was your central point you were making? Central point is build it. It needs to be
1: built. uh, The key priority is to get this thing built. Anybody who's followed the saga of the Children's Hospital droning on and on and on for so long, understands that there is a near emergency with the physical plant in the National Maternity Hospital in Hollis Street, and it needs to be built. My own beautiful child, James, was born there two years ago. My wonderful wife, Orla and I went in. We had a wonderful experience with Dr. Peter McParlin and the staff. Great, great care. But the physical plant is crumbling and miserable. And as well as just being crumbling, it's the wrong model. For modern obstetric care, you need to have it in the context of a major general hospital campus. I used to do quite a bit of general medicine the first 10 years I came back to Vincent. So we would be on call one night in six or one night in 12. Not infrequently, we would be dealing with emergencies that had to be brought up in an ambulance from Hollis Street where women develop blood clot problems or heart attacks or whatever. And, And that kind of thing should not involve an ambulance trip. It should all be done on one side. So I really strongly, strongly believe that. Nothing I say should in any sense be seen as favoring anything which puts an impediment in building the hospital. I don't. In fact, I would have to say that in the... Great big spectrum of opinions in Vincent's, I would have been one of the more enthusiastic people. If I, in some delusional alternative reality, had any influence in Vincent's, what I would have said is here's the land, build a hospital. We are so grateful to you for bringing this wonderful facility into our campus, for upgrading our academic status as a leading healthcare campus. We really are so grateful that you picked us and please take the land and, you know, three bags full or anything else you want. But that's not the way it's been handled. It was very telling to me that this process, unlike the process in St. James's and the Children's Hospital, where James's bent over backwards to get the Children's Hospital, and, and Nora can tell us more about this, that this process needed a mediator. Now, it's like saying the national lotto has to appoint a mediator to you when you win the jackpot. I just don't get this at all. And I made a decision for a whole lot of very personal reasons not to get too involved in this fight because I, I just reckoned that, well, the reasons were personal and to do with my relationships and Vincent's. But last week, when I saw that there was pressure being brought on Peter Boylan to resign, I was furious, number one. And number two, when I heard that Vincent's were threatening to pull out of the project, I was despondent what rational person on the board of a rational institution, looking at something which the women of this country urgently need, which the babies of this country urgently need, would actually say, well, actually, we might walk away from it if we don't do it our way. That is not the thinking of somebody who's got proper, programmatic health planning at heart. It is the thinking of somebody who's defending some other interest. And the reality is there is another interest involved here, which has often been kind and often been positive, but because of changing demographics and changing realities, is developing a different set of self-interests right now. The other question which has to be asked, and I hate to have to say this, and I know I'm going to get in trouble in Vincent's for saying it, but I have to ask it. I have firsthand seen some evidence of sectarianism in the way the institution does its business. There is just simply no escaping that. This very week, GPs have been contacting me, showing me letters they'd received saying, no, we do not do tubal ligations in St. Vincent's. We'll take them someplace else. I've been asking my colleagues in the relevant specialties, have you ever been stopped? And it's sort of subtle. I mean, I, I don't want people to think that it's some kind of Taliban-like theocracy. It's not like that. I mean, it's not. And and on a day-to-day basis, people would have no awareness of it. That's why I think that some of our younger colleagues who have been so so reassured don't actually realize it's subtle, but it's still there. I had the first-hand experience of having clinical trials delayed, not by long, because I fought them on it, uh, on an issue where they specified that contraception was required for patients who would be exposing themselves to potentially to drugs which could be horrific to a developing fetus, and you just needed for legal reasons to make sure that the person would not get pregnant. Not the reality is for poor cancer patients; they're going through so much. This is not, in truth, usually a big issue if you've got an advanced cancer. Can I can I just yes. get
2: a summary of your view? One, at all costs, the must the hospital must proceed. But your concerns about the the would we'll just say the culture and, so on and the and the religious implications of what you've spoken about does that lead you I, I'm just confused are you saying renegotiate the ownership are you saying renegotiate yes. the board I know you're saying yes. proceed on oh, both the board I,
1: I think Vincent had no business playing hardball with the with the constitution of this board. I think they had no business doing that uh, and I do think I'm really troubled by the ownership issue but having said all that as one of my gynecology colleagues said to me the other day he shrugged his shoulders and said an Irish solution to an Irish problem it may be the best we can do uh, and if at the end of it everybody has a warm gloom Happy, glowy, liberal feeling of you know ethical vindication, but we don't have a show. We don't have a maternity hospital. That's not a win.
2: And the other question I wanted to ask you before I go to the others in the panel, Peter Boylan, uh, do you think he's been unfairly treated? Do you think he's done the state some service, or has he been uh, a rebel? He has done the state incredible service because he has actually put a much bigger issue than just
1: Hollis Street on the agenda. He's actually opened up the can of worms, which we've all been aware of, of the ambiguous ownership structure of several of the institutions in the state. And Minister Harris, who I see being rather cruelly lampooned as a a pregnant male in one of the cartoons in today's paper, Minister Harris, I think, I I wouldn't necessarily have agreed with a lot of the way he's handled it, but he has, to his credit, said that there will have to be a proper debate on the ownership of the hospital. This would not have happened if it hadn't been for Peter's interjection. I think the way the Hollis Street Board treated him was appalling. I think when you have all business theory and practice and you know, Nora can tell me more about this than I can, always says that in big boards you must have dissenting voices. You must the most successful companies have dissenting voices. And when somebody actually says something you don't like and you say, actually we want you to go It's, I think, very,
2: very wrong. Nora Casey, you you have a special insight to this because you were a former member of the National Paediatric uh, Hospital Development Board called the National Children's Hospital. So you're used to kind of protectionist politics of institutions and all that kind of thing. Um, Do you think the board composition of the new maternity hospital, do you think the ownership issue should be revisited or proceed with it as is because of the urgency?
4: I'm a total pragmatist about these issues. Um, I think when you put a group of people in a room um, for a board and they're professionals and they discuss things in measured tones with all the evidence in front of them and they make a decision, you have to entrust the fact that they know what they're doing. The person in the hot seat here is Rona Mahoney. Um, I firmly believe that when you take big, huge decisions about the future, especially something that's going to cost 300 million, you look at all the ups and the downs, you look at all the potentialities, you look about issues around that John raised there around ethics Everybody, 100% in this debate, want a new maternity hospital. They all recognise that Hollis Street is creaking, it's crumbling. I sat with a woman there for four hours last week. It is just like third world environment. And we've been talking about it for years and years and years. At the 11th hour, we're now discussing ownership issues. So as I understand it, whatever is enshrined in law in the future, and by the way, the emotional attachment to this conversation is very difficult because as soon as you start talking about the religious people have very polarised views on this. So all I would say is as I understand it, there's no moving the Sisters of Charity. I don't know why they want to own this particular hospital. There's only just over 200 of them left. The average age is somewhere in the 70s. Most of them won't even be alive when this happens. So I don't know why they would want this debate or this discussion or to even own it, but they do. There's an argument that Uh, there should be... There should be just one owner. There are just uh, John (coughs) McManus.
2: There are two hundred and thirteen Sisters of Charity nuns, and their average age is seventy-six. Well, I'm not. I I understand what you're saying. Just let me just finish that point. Yeah. Okay.
4: So in this country, we obsess about who owns property. The Tala Hospital debate in the Adelaide and the Church of Ireland was a huge issue. That's a massive board, and it's a massive statutory instrument. We're possibly the only country in the world that worries about land and property. We own more houses per capita than anywhere else in the whole world. You only have to watch something like The Field to understand that who owns the land is a big issue for us and this conversation is about who owns the land. To me it's more about, sorry, what I understand is there's a business issue here. They're highly leveraged. So they disgracefully used the public hospital in order to fund the private hospital. So now they're sitting here on a piece of land where they're not prepared to have another owner, i.e. the state, to be sitting so close and I think totally integrated, I hope, with the adult hospital in in ways that we don't understand. Same lifts, same elevators, same specialties. A lot of same specialties work between Hollis Street and Vincent's already. They're not prepared to have another owner, so we're left with a stalemate. So all we can do then is say, let's put in place all the safeguards that we need. In other words, the statutory instrument is meant to have, according to the minister, that they can only use it as a maternity hospital. It can never be sold. It can be never used as collateral for a loan of any kind. The state has a lien on it that the board, whatever the makeup, in order to change the clinical independence, needs a unanimous decision of the board plus the health minister's vote. So I look at all those safeguards and the person who's sitting in the executive chair and the deputy chairman and I say they've made a decision, they've looked at the pros and cons. We are in a boiling debate which involves okay. Peter is Boylan's it fair, treatment. Is it
2: fair to represent your position as straightforwardly supporting Rona Mahoney?
4: Yes, because she's the person who's in the hot seat, the executive. So so twice the board has discussed this. I don't know why Peter Boylan just raised it recently when it was discussed in November and agreed. Now, Ivan, if you were sitting around the cabinet table and you disagreed with something that was agreed and approved by uh, uh, the majority of the cabinet and you went public in the airwaves and said, I don't agree with what's happening there you would not be considered somebody who should be sitting around that cabinet table. If John Cran sat with his clinical colleagues and said, we have a one pot of money, I'm going to spend it on pancreatic cancer, and the colon cancer guy came out and said, do you know how many people are going to die from colon cancer because they chose pancreatic okay. cancer? It, you wouldn't need boards. Okay. And, and can I by the sorry. way, can I just say, because I just, say because I just really want to you. Peter, there, okay. Peter Peter Boylan is an amazing man. Yeah. He is one of the biggest supporters of women's rights. I interviewed him many times myself. He's a brave man. He's, in terms of his expertise clinically, way up there as a leader okay. in Scotland, and so is Rona. And we're lucky to have two.
2: Okay, uh, but you're clearly on Rona's side, if fair fair to say. Alan Jukes, what say you?
3: Medical know? politics, I think, are even more complex than political politics. Uh, there's, 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 there's a huge element of that here, and I had a marginal involvement in issues leading up to the children's hospital a good many years ago. And f- frankly, I was baffled, appalled.
4: We were just talking about. And so it. on,
3: uh, <laughs> about the way the politics between the hospitals
2: went. In the case of this particular hospital, uh, the National Maternity
3: Sorry, is hospital, that about
2: money, personality? Just, does, What are you talking about? It,
3: it's, I, it wasn't so much about money, it was about power and influence and, and decision control. making. Okay. Yeah, control. Okay. okay. Um, Now, this is a completely uninformed view. I I don't have inside knowledge of all this. I'm looking at it from the outside as somebody who's been used to dealing with public policy for for a long, long time. I think we need here to separate the issue of the land Mm -hmm. from the hospital. I can't, for the life of me, understand why the state is going to spend £300 building a new hospital and handing the ownership of that hospital over to somebody else. I can't see any good reason for doing that. There are issues with the land. Uh, Nora has talked about some of them, John has talked about some of them uh, and, and maybe it's collateral and there are limitations And uh, do you what think that be should be revisited? Uh, yes, indeed. I can see absolutely no reason. Can I just raise the, the issue? Should I should I do I just and and then give we'll come the ownership out. to somebody else. If the ownership rests with the state, then whatever agreement is made about the conditions on which the land is occupied, the hospital is independent. It's independent of the other operations that are on the campus. And I can see there are all kinds of reasons. Because of co location, to have some kind of protocol that agrees how these two institutions live together. And do on you think the same that would campus.
2: resolve the problem if the ownership it issues. It seems to me that it would. It would okay. solve
3: the problem for the public. And oh. I believe oh. that in that kind of situation, Rona Mahoney and her colleagues uh, right. can negotiate, can make sure that they have complete clinical independence in the way the hospital is run, John, which I think is the bottom line John, for us. John, here. you want to get back to I, lo- I love
1: the old phrase that says medical politics are so vicious because there's so little at stake, but they're actually. Was no, it was s- academic politics. <laughs> <of laughs> there, there, there actually is a, a lot at stake here. And the truth of the matter is the children's hospital, a compare in contrast. I really hope Harvard Business Review sometime do a compare and contrast on the struggle for the children's hospital and the struggle for the, the maternity hospital. The children's hospital was classic, understandable, honorable hospital politics. A number of ambitious institutions said, me. I'm the one, give it to us, we'll do it best. And in the end, there was a winner and then there was a replay, in fact, and and it it happened and everybody agrees with in the end, except there were still some people that are holding out and in danger of delaying the whole darn project. This is medical politics like I have never seen. And I don't believe this is medical politics. There were not two groups of doctors vying with different, this is not. and, And to phrase this as a Peter Boylan versus Rona is a grotesque simplification. There were two divergent strands of opinion amongst people who wanted the hospital to move to the Vincent's campus, but who had different levels of concern about the assurances that, that they had received about governance. And finally, I have to say this, Peter Boylan is not the person, Aura. Brought this up. It was brought up by Patsy McGarry. Patsy McGarry wrote an article in the paper about 10 days ago, and for some reason, this had slipped under the radar. People hadn't noticed this ownership thing. Patsy wrote the piece, and then somebody came to Peter and asked him to comment on it. So are you saying that as a member of the board, he should not have commented on it? And no, I don't I'm believe you're actually th- saying I, that. I think if and he that's had why those I concerns. Think he wasn't being disloyal. No, he did have the concerns, and he articulated them all along. And as has happened to me so often, I can tell you, I just put my hands up and said, I lost. Bad guys won. Walk away. That's mm-hmm. the, that It happens in our I'm afraid disproportionately, and I think Peter felt that, and he got probably a little stiffening of his spine when he saw that somebody else, it wasn't just Peter the Maverick, somebody else who had a prominent national commentary
4: position said, this is odd. Well, John, let's be clear. Everybody feels this is not the right solution. Yeah. Everyone feels that this is there's something on to But you're saying about. proceed. No, I'm saying proceed in a pragmatic viewpoint. Mm. So I'm saying, of course I don't want the Sisters of Charity to own that land. I can't understand mm. why they own it. I can't understand why earlier on. This is the 11th hour. I can't understand from the very beginning why these issues weren't sorted out. There's nowhere else for the National Maternity Hospital to go. It could potentially go to Beaumont. We yeah. could take a slice of RT land. It wouldn't be tri- it wouldn't bi-located by- with adults. Yeah. So we're in this situation where you have to take a pragmatic viewpoint. I do not believe they are going to budge personally. I think the longer we debated and discussed it, I was on the Children's Hospital Board, four years later 400 million more we finally get to the first step and by the way the same detractors who sat on the sidelines, throw bricks at us in the first board are still there and and some of them threatening litigation. Well, so. I, I, wonder, uh, sorry, I just want to ask you the latest development, is as Kieran Mulvey has
2: said, well, in, in yesterday's Independent Today, Kieran Mulvey said there were several different options available so that the state retained possession of the 300 million hospital due to be built. Yeah. Uh, well, I think
3: that's significant. Kieran Mulvey was the one, he, he was in the middle of all this negotiation that went on. Mm. Uh, and he is now saying that he believes there is a way to sort this out, yeah. uh, which would end up with the state being the proprietor of the hospital. If the state is the proprietor of the hospital, I don't think there could be any arguments afterwards about clinical independence. And it seems to me that's the way we need to go. Okay, because everybody who's got upset about this and has been involved in the discussions uh, is putting the accent on the necessity to ensure clinical independence for this hospital in in, in the interests of
2: the women okay. and children what of the hospital. What about this man's handling of the issue? I've called for a period
1: of calm and cool heads The issue of religious interference is dealt with in black and white in the agreement. However, as we tease through, because remember, we have an agreement now that is the heads of an agreement, that has to be turned into contractual and legal realities. And I'm asking for a month which I don't think is unreasonable considering planning won't be granted to the autumn, to tease through further those issues. This project hasn't got planning permission yet. There is a way to go on this. I'm determined we're going to build it. I'm determined we're going to co-locate it at the land of St. Vincent's because that site wasn't plucked from the air. St. Vincent's Hospital is one of our leading hospitals in this country. It's a teaching acute adult hospital. The way it's been talked about in recent days would suggest uh, that it's a convent. It's not. It's an awful lot more than that.
2: I think it's fair to summarise the political analysis of today's papers is that uh, Simon Harris, Harris takes a fair thrashing along the lines of boy doing a man's job. What do you think will happen in a month's time? I think that's unfair. I don't think this has been the problem of
1: Simon's making and I think what he's actually suggested, I think, is he's, he's, I believe he's, at his core, he's, He's ideologically a pragmatist, and I, I, I believe he is going well, the, to make...
2: The Some of the specific coverage was, when Leo was handling this, he was putting a lot more pressure on Vincents, whereas when Simon came in, appointed mediator, and the pressure went on Hollis Street. Well, I, I think Nora's made the point.
1: I mean, I, I think, I think, and I'm, boy, am I going to look disloyal to Vincents? I feel loyal to the place, but not particularly to the board. I, I, I think Vincents just wasn't free-yielding on this. I just mm-hmm. think that they were... And, and please, Nora, you were there... Could you just contrast this with how the board of James has welcomed the children's hospital?
4: i will go back to the Matter Hospital yeah. site where the Sisters of Mercy were, were giving us the land. The very day that we we're putting the foundations, around the Sisters of Mercy oh, were signing no, a funny. contract. Just one, point, one final to specific, one final it was specific question
2: to you: You're an oncologist, and you're dealing with terminal illness and and so on in Vincent's, and and you can speak uniquely about it. Has there ever been an issue in terms of the religious ethos totally being against? terminating one's life in medical circumstances uh, that that you could see a circumstance? Because people say Jumps are, nuns aren't going to be jumping into the maternity ward. What, what's your take on that? Have you ever experienced directly clinical interaction with an ethos? I, I would have to say that Vincent's is one of the better
1: places. It's a very good and a kind place to get end-of-life care. And I think the Sisters of Charity is one thing they've been very good at, I think, with their but their uh, involvement in the hospice and in Vincent's, I think they have set an ethos, they've never interfered in any way. And, and by the way, I'm not somebody who would ever willingly end anybody's life. I make, sure. and we get ex- excellent input from superb palliative people n- who, who are more in the firing line often than I am in this. But I will always make the promise to a patient who's frightened and who knows they're dying and say, I will make sure you will not die in pain. Now, I, I do believe sometimes we fail, but we always say to people that we will not let you die in pain. We will do our level best. And if the level of pain control to keep you pain-free when you are dying is the level of pain control which puts you to sleep that is the level you will get.
2: That was, of course, the epic fight last night. Anthony Joshua with an enthralling knockout win over Vladimir Klitschko at Wembley Stadium, adding the WBA World Heavyweight title to his IBF crown. More on that in the weekend sport in uh, the next hour. We're still with Nora Casey, John Crown and Alan Jukes. The final thing I want to discuss about briefly is I was at Punchtown yesterday and someone whispered in my ear that now that the EU summit is over... Uh, and Enda Kenny is gone, going to Canada next week that on the 10th or 17th of May he would step down and trigger a new Fine Gael leadership contest Is this something that fills you with sadness or joy Nora?
4: I think it's probably the right time rather than having an emotional <laughs> response to that I think this has been going on since you know, February is meant to be after St Patrick's Day He's gone off to Canada now so it's everyone the dogs in the streets are talking about the fact that Wednesday week he's going to make some announcement I think if he was a wise man he would go before the summer and we would have an election, I hope, in the autumn because I think like the UK we need certainty. In this a country. general election yes, or a Fine Gael election. General election. Okay. Yeah. Right. I do think like like you look at the recent opinion polls, I can't remember where I read them, Ivan, I'm sure you know them, but but Fine Gael was is stagnant now. Twenty four. Twenty four percent and Fianna Fáil is higher. Like, and I think that's really a bit business Well done gotcha mind of a calculator. Yes. Um I think that's more to do with this inertia about leadership and The longer people are vying for positions, even in organizations, if the CEO announces he's leaving, everyone behaves differently. Everyone starts behaving like I could be that CEO, and if that position is vacant, I could be in that position. So, normal business practice never happens in an organisation when the leader So
2: the air of uncertainty is Once back. you say you're and going Do you have any you preference need...
4: who might lead Finnegan in the country? I'd love to see a woman I have to say in my lifetime I've seen two women presidents I think we fly brilliantly on one wing It would be nice to see us flying on two wings It would be fantastic for us to have a woman and as And is there a any Taoiseach. particular woman? Yeah I actually like Frances Fitzgerald I think she's an amazing woman I think she's done fantastic work I, I stood with her on International Women's Day on the sexual offences bill and I thought you know what it's not often we celebrate things in politics and we did celebrate that
2: day. Alan Dukes will you you be weeping and gnashing at the departure of Enda? No um,
3: I respect his choice Uh, I hope that uh, it's done in a way that won't make his kind of immediate legacy the long goodbye rather than what he has achieved um, because he has achieved quite a lot Uh, I don't know who the candidates will be I will certainly vote, I'll have a vote uh, but I won't tell you who I'm going to vote for. Right, uh, I'll take the same line as uh, Phil sure. Hogan took with you yeah. last week.
2: <laughs> but the 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 point about it is, and Nora has uh, articulated this, that effectively since the general election. With new politics not having majority, and they're worried about their votes, and what Finnafalk going to do over this and that, and the sort of water debacle, it has been a year of paralysis. And extending that unduly, as Enda has done, um, laterally going to Canada, surely is not a good thing the year for of business. Paralysis,
3: I think that's been that's been determined by uh, the kind of mixture and ragbag that that, that we have in the zone at the moment. Nothing on this fault at all. With, with, with so many with so many different fractions and fractious fractions in there. It it, it was clear to me from the very beginning that to get anything at all done in the Dáil would take forever. Um, People give out uh, beforehand about the Mm. fact that there was no consultation. Now we have a committee system where all kinds of pre-legislative examination has to happen. People argued for that before. Now that they see it in practice they know it just takes longer. So I mean, having the kind of fractious Dáil that we have now means things take longer to decide and probably we make worse decisions than we normally And want.
2: if they decide right. at all. John Crown, is this something that you need the secrecy of the confessional not to reveal who you might favour? Well,
3: I, I must say, I, I I've heard
1: a very different story to you. I, what I heard was that Ender had decided he was going to go after, but not until there was a comprehensive Middle East peace settlement um, <laughs> that he decided that there was a... 2020. 2020. So, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I think he inherited the worst cards any Taoiseach has inherited in modern time when he assumed office in terms of an economy that was on its knees. And in Ed, 20- 11 yes okay. and and I think he's done a, a generally good job and I think we, we owe him respect uh, for what he's and done would you
2: like to see a doctor take over I'd be
1: very happy I mean I th- I think Do we not I'm, have I, enough medical politics? You'd be very politics. happy to do it I, I'm, I, No I, I'd love if there's ever a public interest director appointed to the Board of Instance that they'd appoint me I really would i bring the popcorn but I'd love that but I, I think Leo I think there are some good candidates there I think Leo is very very smart man I mean I, Leo is I'd have to say intellectually the most impressive politician I encountered during my time uh, in Leinster House uh, and I think he's a tad unsent- unsentimental in some ways but I mean I, I think it would be interesting experiment to see him leading the country I think he could probably do quite a good job at it actually uh,
2: Finally before we wrap mm-hmm. you, there's a particular meet- meeting for yes, cancer Yes we're patients. having May
1: 13th in St. Vincent's at 9 o'clock a meeting on secondary metastatic breast cancer. Patients welcome, carers welcome, doctors nurses, researchers. Saturday, next Saturday week May 13th in Vincent's there's a Twitter website Dare to Cure Dare, the number two cure Dare to Cure it gives all the details we'd love to have anybody who has metastatic breast cancer their needs are often not met in the more broadly And it's based been held in the hospital In the it? hospital itself in the auditorium Okay uh, Saturday week at what time? Uh, 9 o'clock, it's started. We have an international, wonderful international guest AM speaker or PM. in the morning, All 9 right. o'clock. Dr. Linda Vidaff from Cornell in New York is coming to give a talk on latest treatments.
2: Professor Giuseppe Gullo as well. It'll be a great day. <laughs> Last word to John Crown. That's <laughs> familiar. My thanks to Alan Jukes, former Fine Gael leader, Professor John Crown and former Irish Senator, now, of course, the oncologist of note and Nora Casey, Chair, woman of Harmonia, Ireland's largest magazine.
0: Yates on Sunday
1: Brought to you by SSE Airtricity Business
3: Energy Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy at work for you.